This program is produced using the resources of Public Media Network in Kalamazoo, Michigan. Learn more at publicmedianet.org. Hey, how's everybody doing? My name is Kevin Ford. This is the Share Prosperity Kalamazoo podcast, episode 13. I'm joined as always by the magnificent Melody Dakin, Neighborhood Business and Special Projects Coordinator for the City of Kalamazoo. I am the Share Prosperity Kalamazoo Coordinator for the City of Kalamazoo, and we'll hop right in. We got a wonderful guest today. Want to hear all about um, his story and the business ventures that he has going on. Today as our guest, we have Daniel May in the house. We don't have any sound effects, so. <laughs> there you go. It's not clapping, but we got that. Uh-huh. I could use some work on my beatbox. Yeah, so welcome, <laughs> Mr. Daniel May. Um, I hope everybody's doing well. We were supposed to be joined also by Nicole Triplett, um, but she unfortunately was was exposed to COVID, so we hope that she gets better. Um, I got over that recently, my family and I, and uh, yeah, it sucked. So uh, we hope Nicole Triplett is um, on her way to a speedy recovery. We wish her well. But in the meantime, we got Daniel May, and we were um, just talking. How's everybody feeling? It's right. been it's Wednesday. Mm-hmm. It's been feeling. It's been feeling crazy for me personally, and like this Wednesday is like dragging out. Like Friday will never get here, mm-hmm. and I don't know. It's just it's been a weird space. I've been feeling good, but it's also just been a weird headspace. And um, I don't know. It's a song by Common and Black Thought called "When We Move." It features one of the children of uh, Fela Kuti, and I've been listening to that just on repeat. It's, it's something about it. You know, the lyricism, the beat. And uh, it's got me in a good headspace. My leadership journey has helped me lean into that. Like, yeah, it make you want uh, <laughs> to poke, poke your chest out and just uh, stand a little <laughs> taller. It's like, yeah, I can could, I could get with this. So, yeah, I don't know. That's how I'm feeling today. How y'all feeling? I'm good. Um, I'm happy. You know, to be out here, the weather isn't too bad. Um, but no, the the only thing I be thinking about Wednesday is how close I am to Friday. Uh, and trying to get done with all of the meetings and commitments that I have throughout the week. So to me, the sooner that we can get to the weekend, the better. Great. Yeah, I'm feeling good. I had a day off on Monday, so it's kind of thrown me off a little bit. I took my son on the train to the Shutt Aquarium in Chicago. Beautiful. Okay. Really fun. First train ride. It was a blast. It was cool to see an aquarium and the train through a two and a half year old. Really cool. Got to meet the conductor, all that fun stuff. So, yeah. And walk around in Chicago was super nice on Monday. Okay. Yeah. Sweet. Yep. Sweet. Shout out to to young Kai. Little Kai. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, let's just jump right in. I mean, um, Daniel May, tell us about yourself. We we like to say we we um students and advocates of systems thinking. And one thing 
with Sisto's thinking is that like nothing happens in the silo, right? Nothing happens in absence of some other things in the vacuum, as it were. So, I mean, you have an interesting story. You have some interesting stuff uh, going on, but it just didn't happen, right? Yeah. So tell us a little bit about yourself. You know, we from, how, how'd you arrive at Kalamazoo? Yeah, absolutely. So um, born and raised in Cleveland, Ohio. Uh, O-H-I-O, always. There you go. Uh, we came here in 2006 into Grand Rapids, graduated from East Kentwood, um, and then moved down here in 2009, and I'm going on now my 13th year in Kalamazoo. Um, didn't expect that I would stay this long, but I really fell in love with the city, the people here, yeah. the culture, and how easy it is to connect with folks. Why, why didn't you, hold on, I gotta ask that. Why didn't you, you didn't plan on staying here this long. Yeah. You just planned, did you plan on staying here at any length of time or you just here and then? My, my thought was, as soon as I graduate, I'm moving. Okay, and um, why was that? Just got a curiosity. It, you know, being young, yeah. you know, when we're young, we always want bigger and better. So of course you want the big city and the lights and the games and everything else. But then, you know, um, I took, once I graduated, I took about a month off. I'm like, ah, I'm going to relax. And I was like, hey, I need to get a job. Um, BD about graduating. Um, I graduated from Western Michigan University with uh, double degrees in management and finance and minors in economics and business. Um, so as soon as I went out to get a job, I got one in two weeks. So I was blessed <laughs> with that. It did found myself uh, working on some really interesting projects. Um, started off... I'm at a company here, which is the nation's 10th largest uh, food equipment provider. Um, I started off as a sales support specialist. Then within a year or two, worked my way up to I was purchasing all of the food equipment um, at commercial applications from uh, football stadiums to schools, all of those different things. So by the time that I left, I worked on uh, Katy Stadium, which is the nation's biggest high school uh, stadium in Texas. Um, every single piece of the food equipment that's in there, I'm the one who purchased it. University of Notre Dame, new residence hall in the University of North Carolina um, at Charlotte. Residence hall, I'm the individual who purchased all of it. By the time I left, um, I was doing 60 projects, 11 sales reps around the country and managing nine and a half million. Um, transferred from that into doing some business consulting, worked as um, for a fabrication company here doing as a finance manager, came on to help clean up their books. Um, within the first uh, four months of me being there, I collected a million dollars of past due uh, receivables that were out there, um, helped them grow their offices into opening up a new office in Grand Rapids and cleaning up their Lansing division. And then I took some time off to do more consulting work outside of that, just me, you know, personally, and then, you know, transition to uh, working at Stryker um, and helping them roll out new systems and softwares, um, and most recently working as a pricing analysis over there, uh, managing their instruments divisions and all of the pricing for all five divisions. So it's kind of a weird uh, thing that when I say that I didn't plan it on, uh, stay here, but the community continued to bless me. Yeah. And I mean by that is that 
just my network, the, my ability to connect with individuals here. Kalamazoo is really small and intricate. So opportunities just came about because of people knowing me, liking the work that I did. Right. And then just further fostered further op- or opportunities, which is now what's led me here um, to opening up my bar, hopefully in the next uh, four to five months. Yeah. I mean, the the networking and um the actual working i mean as you were running down your accomplishments and accolades i'm like wow this is this dude is serious mm-hmm. i didn't know all of that so i'm like now i'm kind of intimidated to ask <laughs> further questions i'm like you should no, be please teaching do. us some stuff but that was um that's impressive man thank you um and so yeah you know congrats on you know, putting in the work and having that passion. But also, I mean, I'm glad, you know, our city was able to to do that, to, you know, have somebody like you in the community, man. So, yeah, that was, that's awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, as I said, this community has blessed me. Um, I was a part of uh, Western Michigan University's um, first starting gate, their incubator program yep. that they started here several years ago. I was in the first cohort. I'm also a Greenleaf Trust Scholar, mm. uh, which is the program that Western has specifically for minorities in finance. Um, so the community has provided some great opportunities. So that's why when I say, you know, after I started my first year working here, I was like, hey, here's some other opportunities that are here that I can do that I may not be able to do in other cities as I was to leave. And, you know, personally, why I'm still 13 years later here is that I haven't felt it's my time to go yet. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. Well, we're lucky to have you. We are. Yeah. I hope I think about when I meet with different entrepreneurs in the committee in the community that want to stay here, it's a huge deal. And I think we could, we could have mentioned that more like people can choose any city they want to live in to grow their business and to have somebody choose Kalamazoo to spend money here, invest here, have family here, uh, is huge and we don't give enough credit. So I just want to thank you too of investing here. And I hope that we as a community and as a city employees can support you in any way. I want that for you. I think one of the reasons that when I first met you, I was like, man, we got to get Daniel on the podcast because you have challenged me a lot in my position. And I want to be surrounded with people uh, that challenge me and that want to change the change the dynamic and change systems and challenge systems that have been going on. I think one thing that when I started in this position is like, I really wanted to see change and I wasn't sure entirely how to do that inside of a huge government system (laughs) and where was my place in that. And then like, how do I work with Kevin and our team to do that? How do I work with city manager's office to communicate things? And then how do we work at the policy level to change things? And I see uh, you, you and I've had a lot of conversations about that. Like, how do we, how do we make uh, resources more accessible to people like you, to businesses uh, and just to, to make things better and not, I mean, you're here, but you're also, you want to be part of the change and change the system. So 
I think me personally, like I want to be surrounded with people that are going to challenge me and make me feel a little uncomfortable. I like that. And I think I, we all need that. So I look forward to hearing more about, um, I've heard a little bit about Dabney and company, but I'd love for you to tell us about like where it came from. Yeah. Um, and one thing I think would be really great to hear about is like using all your senses Tell us what it's going to be like in Dabney yeah. when you walk in, what you're going to smell, what you're going to see, what you're going to hear. Um, give us like a taste and what you're going to eat <laughs> and drink uh, when you walk in. Hold on. So. That's coming up, right? That's happening. Yeah. In a few months. We got to okay. get. Yep. Okay. So Dabney and company is happening. Yeah. Yes. It was something else, though, before we get into Dabney and company. Yeah. We it can was, back it up. It was something else that. Um, Daniel did we want to talk about also let's do it and then I was interested to know listening to you you said you all have had some conversations and you've been challenged is there any story in particular or instance in particular that you're comfortable sharing in which that's happened um yeah I mean Daniel we went through Daniel had applied for some funds with United Way um, and those are funds uh, f through the Foundation for Excellence that we give to United Way. Um, it's a loan fund. And there was just some, I think, uh, challenges in, like, the range of funds that we thought that that Daniel uh, applied for and that there was some, like, hey, he, he got this much, but uh, how, I'm trying to think of how to say it in a way that is transparent and also uh, truthful. <laughs> like we, we talked a lot about, well, did anybody get the amount that they asked for? And then what do those businesses look like? Uh, like what are the demographics of the businesses? And we saw some things that we needed to look at. So we've had a lot of like follow-up meetings um, just internally without you, but just like, how do we change that? And like, what are we going to put in the next agreement with the, with the United way um, on how to change those loans to make them more accessible to people that need them. And this is a fund that we want. We want people to take risks. And also like when we give people a loan there, we don't want them to take on too much risk, but like, what is, who's making those decisions? I think, what do those people look like? And, uh, we have to be willing to take more risks than like a traditional bank. So is it, is it a loan business development? Is that a loan? The, these loans I'm talking about are through United Way. Mm -hmm. It's a 1% interest loan, five to 50,000. Uh, you don't need a credit check. It's meant for people uh, like minority women owned businesses. Um, yeah. So I think it's important to say like the, we have to be willing to take more risk with those loans. I think I think I can say that without getting in trouble. <laughs> well, we'll find out. <laughs> <laughs> we want to be willing to take more risks. And I think that that's the challenge is like, we don't, we want people to, this isn't a, a bank, a bank uh, loan. So, and also this is money that the foundation for excellence has given United way to grow businesses and be give to people that, uh, I don't know what I'm trying to say. I feel like I'm not making sense, but we want to take more risks. I'm going to end it with that. I believe that. 
So we need to, we need to support people like Daniel and other businesses that are willing to stay here and like dig in and put it, put their own money up and leverage others that are throwing money in too. Yeah. Okay. All right. Did that, that? did I answer the question? I don't even know if I did. Do you remember <laughs> what the question was? Yeah, you want okay. me to give an example? Yeah, how you about you said uh you know you've had some conversations and you like being around people to push you. Yeah. So I was just wondering how how damn you pushed him. So okay. And he made me think a lot about downtown too. Like I want him to be part of the downtown. Like we, there's been a lot of shifts downtown. So I think I'd love Daniel to be part of like making those decisions and making sure all the businesses are represented and we have different businesses that serve everyone downtown. Mm-hmm. So if he's open to it, we'll continue to put him to work. Yep. Okay. Absolutely. <laughs> work together on it. So we heard about your experience, you know, academically finance business transition to the real world and exposure to that. Uh, we'll get into Dabney and Co. But previous to that, you had another, um, that was a business. Public school was a business, right? Correct. It still okay. is. Oh, there you go. So um, public school, um, tell us a little bit about that and how that came about. What is it? Yeah. So um, back in 2018, uh, public school, which is S-K-O-O-L, yep. um, actually used to be my Instagram handle. Okay. Um, and this is when Instagram first came out. And... I've always been weird with like um, names to be unique. And I was like, public school, that's it. Right. Um, and I was like, maybe one day I'll do something with it. Um, so <laughs> back in 2018, um, you know, it was Juneteenth and nobody was celebrating anything else. And I was like, hey, I'm going to do a Juneteenth bar crawl. Mm -hmm. um, I thought it would be a great idea. I didn't do any type of advertising. I literally just posted it in a few groups online i called a few bars here in kamazoo that saw whether they were going to do it or or not they said yep and we ended up having five bars along the tour first started at um, the old arcadia ales mm -hmm. and then i just waited <laughs> and waited and waited the first you know it started off with uh probably like three or four people who were just my like close friends who wanted yeah. to celebrate juneteenth but by the time that we got to the second and third bar, it was like 40 or 50 people who had saw my stuff online and wanted to join. And then while we, they were there, they were calling their friends to, to join. Yeah. And it was just a really a great time, right? So in this, I wasn't trying to make any money. I was just saying like, hey, here's something that I want to do. Is there other people in this community who want to do the same thing? Mm -hmm. For me, that was the proof of concept yeah. that there's a market or people who want different types of entertainment, right? So from there, um, I created a uh, my one of my events is called Sunday School. Mm -hmm. um, it's a Sunday day party. I'm from Cleveland, and I travel a lot, so day parties are a really big thing. I was like, hey, you know, part of me being in finance and understanding numbers is that Sunday is a day that bars traditionally don't make money. Mm -hmm. So my strategy was, hey, if I go to you on a day that you don't make money and I pitch you on a new idea, there's nothing for you to lose. Nothing for you to lose. So whether whether I bring somebody in here or not, right. really doesn't matter anything. And I structured where I was getting commission uh, off sale. So if I don't do anything else, it's just my money on the line. So 
worked with a local bar, one of the same bars that were that I had did my Juneteenth bar crawl with. They said yes. I came in, um, pitched them on doing a brand new menu because I was like, hey, you know, their food really isn't appropriate for the crowd that I'm trying to bring in. Right. Um, the food kind of wasn't rated uh, great. So I was like, hey, I have some ideas for, for food. Here's some, you know, some things on uh, the menu that I think we could do, but this menu will only be done during our party. Yeah. Um, and then. How did they uh, respond to that? Oh, they, they were fine because it was my money that was paying for it. So oh, I got you. Okay. For the concept. So then what I did is that I said, here are some initial things that I would like to do. I worked with their chef yeah. on creating those things. He came back. We did a food tasting uh, where I brought people out to the community to come in and come do a free thing. Um, part of the reason why I did that is because I knew that I don't have the, the background and experience to tell you that this food is isn't good or not mm -hmm. but what i can do is have it be completely random and open to the public and then therefore you'll be more uh cognizant of the criticism that comes with that so yeah. we did that um and then we launched i believe 2018 for uh homecoming mm -hmm. so homecoming weekend we also i also came up with a great idea of us doing signature cocktails so we worked with their bartenders to create some signature cocktails. I named all of my cocktails after popular hip hop songs that were on the radio at the moment. And then I had my friend who does uh, photography work came in and we did a food photo shoot. It was our first <laughs> photo shoot that we've done with food, but I know that I'm creative and she does great stuff. The photos came out amazing. Published this online. 60 people came for homecoming. It was great. Mm -hmm. So because of that, we kept building every Sunday um, doing this. And then we switched to every other Sunday because they were getting way too big and massive. Uh, by the end of 2019, when we uh, wrapped up and this was right before uh, COVID, we switched to a, a secondary um, bar, um, the old grotto, um, where I took the event from doing 60 people to doing 250 people on Sunday. Mm. Um, I would produce around $4,000 worth of liquor sales in four hours. Um, having people drive over an hour to come to our event and with a history of no fights, no anything else. And the reason why I bring up the whole no fights is that there's this negative connotation around uh, black um, events that are thrown by promoters of them being unruly, not being able to uh, manage themselves, and it's all racial connotations. So it was very big for me that I will focus on. Not only will this be one of the biggest uh, black events that's you know thrown here, as Kalamazoo doesn't have any. Right. Um, two, my thing is that it's going to be the safest. So I instituted security and some of the things I learned from Cleveland, where we would check. I had a no purse policy and it would have to be a certain type of size and I would pay for my own security to be at the front door. We would check purses and backpacks and mind you, backpacks weren't allowed. So, but getting to these things of my attention to detail, my understanding of crowd and being able to control music and crowds actions. So in that to be able to uh, build such a massive event. And then something else that people don't know is that at the end of every one of my events, I would call the police myself. And the reason why I would call the police is that um, to rid anybody from saying that my parties are unruly or anything else, I would call the police department and tell them that, hey, I have, I'm throwing in an event, I have 250 people who are about to get out of my 30, 
30 minutes, could you please have officers outside in the parking lot just to make sure that everybody gets home safe? So part of my strategy with that is that if anything happens outside of this moment, it's not on me. I've done my due diligence. I've done the stuff with it. So anything that happens outside, right, that could blow back as in being, you know, something that once again, there's a black um, event that hasn't been, you know, successful and, you know, has fired anything else. I've left it to the police department and I'm being transparent on, hey, I want you here to make sure people are safe Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and make sure that people get home safe. So in that, in building up my reputation uh, with that, I decided the year of 2019, my next big um, event was called Afrofest, mm-hmm. um, which I decided that there was no true celebration of Black History Month in West Michigan besides doing the cultural programs that are normally done by universities or museums and just talk about Rosa Parks and anything else. But for me, one of the things I wanted to focus on is that Black people are beautiful today. So if we're beautiful today, then we have to focus on how do we celebrate that beauty? So I had the idea of what we would do uh, Afrofest and specifically being Afro and saying that um, being able to come as you are and embracing your hair um, often, whether um, a lot of people may not know is that a lot of African-Americans code switch when they go to their jobs. So it's talking different to sound more approachable um, straightening their hair or cutting it to be more approachable. Um, Afrofest was a true embrace of the beauty of blackness, black skin, black hair, and the black attitude. Mm-hmm. So in that is that people um, who come in hip hop or African attire uh, and patterns. And this wasn't a black only event. It was truly, I was trying to give people an opportunity to experience what black culture is. And one of the biggest aspects that we have of black culture is the family reunion. Family reunions and black culture are really big deals. <laughs> so they're really big deals. We travel across the country to be with family and there's line dancing and stepping and laughing. So I wanted to recreate that for the community in a way that, hey, if you don't know what black culture is and you want to do something for Black History Month, this is where you need to come and that's Afrofest. And what we would do is that uh, we would do a full soul food buffet. So the first year we had uh, barbecue pork, uh, candy yams, collard greens, macaroni cheese, baked chicken, and peach cobbler. I come from a family of cooks and chefs, so yeah. I actually catered the whole event myself. What? Uh, Man, hold on. You're just doing too much. You did <laughs> all that stuff you talked about earlier with the businesses. Now you're catering. Man. Yeah. This so is, literally the, the yeah. very first Afrofest, I think I had two people who came the day before to help me cut sweet potatoes, and it was 50 pounds. The day of the event, the next day, I got to the commercial kitchen at 6 o'clock in the morning, and I <laughs> prepped and cooked and uh, cut uh, 36 whole chickens, hoarded them, and then baked all of it by the time that everybody arrived at 6. Man. Oh, my gosh. Yes. Yeah, so. we're going to have to talk after the show. we just have to talk about <laughs> but, oh, yeah, but just talking about the, the success of the event, it was really great and phenomenal. So also doing my events, I host. So mm-hmm. I host and tell jokes and make people feel uh, warm and, and great. Um, by 2020, um, Afrofest, which we had moved to the Kalamazoo Institute of Art because I wanted to be bigger and I'm big on representation downtown because I believe that although... 
is great for us to do black businesses or anything else in other neighborhoods. I think if we really want to show diversity and inclusion, the best way to do it is being downtown. So did uh, Kalamazoo Institute of Art, where we had um, I brought in black vendors. So we had 10 black vendors. We had um, our bar catering as well. Um, our tickets, we, we had 160 people. Once again, I was in the kitchen. Uh, <laughs> so audited it. 160 people, we designed all the, the tables. We had affirmations on the tables, each one of the affirmations from um, the hair, you know, and skin and soul is the only rhythm I know and all these different things. I actually came up and designed all of the affirmations. I designed the, the tables. Um, and then we had a, a big dance uh, performance from, we did an intro to Coming to America where mm -hmm. we turned the lights off and it was really great surprise for our audience. But AfroFest in 2020 was listed as one of the top 50 events in the state of Michigan. Whoa. So, um, and it, just to, to backtrack, we also did the Juneteenth Freedom Dinner in 2019 at the, um, the old um, Webster's Prime. And part of it is that I had in, in, in one bar that I was trying to pitch on bringing one of my events to. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm just, you know, being transparent. Um, they said some truly racially insensitive things about people of this community. Um, and because of that, that lit a fire into me is that I needed to do something with my anger towards that. Um, and so therefore I decided for that Juneteenth that we would do a Juneteenth Freedom Dinner. And specifically why I chose Webster's Prime is that Webster's Prime is the number one restaurant at the time in Kalamazoo. Mm -hmm. So my thought is that um, how can we put on a, an event that's a black tie affair at Kalamazoo's number one restaurant, but we can't come be at your establishment on Sundays. Yeah. Um, so I can't, so these same guests that we are saying are ignorant somehow are able to conduct themselves at one of the nicest establishments. So and part of the re way in which I do events is to break these stereotypes that we have around a culture that also aren't uh, valued or put into any type of things because People who are going to bars or clubs, they are acting like everybody else do. People mm -hmm. who consume al alcohol tend to not always be the best version of themselves. <laughs> right. Race mm -hmm. has nothing to do with that. But for some That's reason, right. we have connotations that we do for black audiences. Mm -hmm. So with that Freedom Dinner, um, we got a proclamation from the city in regards to that. We did family style uh, of food and, and tables. It was really phenomenal. And then we partnered with the National Bailout Collective where we gave, um, it was a benefit dinner for the National Bailout Collective. We gave $500 in partial of the sales. National Bailout Collective is a fund that specifically funds poor black uh, mothers who are only in jail because of their inability to pay bail funds. Mm. So okay. everything that I do is about being intentional <laughs> towards the, these things. And then how do we elevate the story of what black culture is? which brings me to uh, Dabney and Company, which is our latest project. Um, one of the things that we wanted to do is we took a year off with uh, COVID and 2020. It kind mm -hmm. of stopped us from doing events. When yeah, was so, AfroFest in 2020? Uh, February. Okay, gotcha. Yep. So mm -hmm. AfroFest is always in, in February. We've been off for the last two years mm -hmm. because of, of COVID. Yep. Um, so one of the things that I always wanted to do was, you know, transition into, you know, yes, it's great to 
throw events and to throw, you know, parties and all these things of culture and celebration of things. But the best thing I can do and to really provide safety for guests, which is part of what I, one of my biggest uh, things about providing safe places for people of color mm-hmm. um, is to own my own establishment. So at the beginning of 2021, I saw that, you know, um, the old once uh, Silver House Coffee space was available. Um, and I knew that it, I had been looking for years for the right location. Mm-hmm. And I knew that this was the right location because I had been in there before. Um, so in that, we've been working for the last year, and now, you know, the plan is for us to open in the next uh, four to five months, uh, assuming with COVID and trying to get equipment shipped as soon as possible, uh, but us opening up a live entertainment uh, venue that our public school events will transition to, but in a different fashion. Mm-hmm. So us doing more like Harlem Renaissance nights or Boogie Fever or a Johnny Taylor Live in Dallas, you know, kind of <laughs> where we're streaming, you know, yeah. these different types of things. And then yeah. a cocktail bar that for me would envision what I saw as being the black version of a cocktail hour. And what I mean by that is that it's disco, it's soul, it's funk, it's all mm-hmm. these different things that are going in the background. And once again, my mission has always been how do I create places of diversity and inclusion in the way that I did with my first AfroFest event in 2019. Yeah. So this space is not a black owned, I mean a black bar, it's just a black owned bar about the black experience, but it's meant for people to of all walks who love music and culture and I want the place to be loud and laughter and all these single things that I talked about, the family reunion vibe that are so important. But to me, I believe that the way in which we change racial dynamics and the way in which we see each other is about being around each other and seeing ourselves in different lights. Mm -hmm. So the way that I could do that is this elegant version of black culture with abstract arts of Diana Ross and Erica Badu and James Brown, and then bring you into a soul singer on the weekend. So the person who you may not have known before, you may have thought some different things, or maybe you didn't even understand what black culture and what that looked like. Right. You're now sitting with them in the bar for several hours laughing and joking. And then this space is not a space that traditionally, in the, you know, uh, most people uh, may not realize that even being a black patron going to bars and establishments, there's a way in which we conduct ourselves. And what I mean by is that if somebody at the next table and say that this is a predominantly white establishment, somebody at the next table is too loud, immediately we think that that's ourselves and say like, how are they making us look bad? Because we feel responsible for them being loud because we understand that if they're loud, they may treat us differently in this establishment. Or if they don't don't act right, I probably need to tip more because I need you to not think that I'm not going to tip because I'm black. Mm-hmm. Um, even though the historical nature, right, tipping is a learned behavior. The reason why a lot of African Americans have the stereotype of quote unquote not tipping well is that a lot of establishments we weren't allowed to in growing up. So since you weren't allowed to go in these establishments growing up, you don't have an, an etiquette of what's normal in an establishment because that's not something something that's passed down generation to generation. Yeah, because you weren't we weren't allowed to go in these places, right? Mm-hmm. And when I say about Dabby and company being allowed and being able to, to laugh, I want everybody, you know, whether you're black or white or Mexican or anybody else to be able to be in here 
and to last and let go your your guards and as soon as you hit the front door you can let go and just make friends it's meant to laugh and to joke and I want it to feel as if you're coming to my home so in my home, I have my family and friends who are over, and I also have professionals, individuals who I do business with. And we still do the exact same thing of, hey, you want a drink? You want a cocktail? Hey, what can I get you? Let's sit down, and here's a card table. Let's play some games. And I think that over time, if we can do this, and especially if we can associate black entertainment with luxury and an upscale vibe, that over time will change the perception of race and what means to us. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. deep, man. Mm-hmm. Thank you for sharing, first of all. Mm-hmm. And I just, uh, yeah, I love it. I love it. I'm envisioning all type of stuff, but really love, you know, um, a couple elements in terms of like a, a physical space, like fomenting friendships, cultivating those spaces in that way, um, because that is one of me. So. Uh, our last episode, we had Chef P from Delish Supper Club. Shout out to Chef P and his wife. Um, and he had talked about, you know, he, he's, a, he's a chef. They deal in food. But I'm seeing similar vibes and connections between what you lifted up and what he and his wife does at Delish Supper Club. Again, their focus is food. But he had talked about that universal human connection food, music, um, he mentioned something else too. But it's like, no matter who you are, it's like you can bring those things together and you can bring people together around that. Those are the elements, yeah. Yeah, so that was, um, and again, we, we had talked about just this Black History Month, um, folks in our community who are actively working to create those type of spaces right the physical spaces with cultural elements and universal human elements right because like you said i mean specific to the culture to the black culture but then no matter who you are you can come you can relate you can learn right you can build and so it's it's something deeply powerful Mm -hmm. in hearing that yeah and it for me one of the things that i wanted to stress with our location is that I've been here for 13 years and for 13 years I've wanted to feel welcomed Mm -hmm. uh, safe included Mm -hmm. in the process and I haven't felt that way yeah Um, often when you talk about Kalamazoo right and being one of the largest black populations in the state of Michigan there's over 20 something thousand uh, black people who live here. But when you walk downtown, you could see none. So to me, when we look at stuff is that there has to be a disconnect and there has to be some intentionality to how we change this. Mm-hmm. Is that we can't have a huge black population in our city, but then find none of their businesses, none of their people walking downtown and we have to ask ourselves what are we doing that isn't communicating why these individuals who love the same love food right who love uh cocktail bars and who love to shop why aren't they engaging with our downtown district Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And to me, that's the, the deeper work. And we have to say it has to be, to me, there's some biases in our system. Even as I go on through this process, there's a lot of challenges and hurdles for me to get here, mm-hmm. right? Um, I'm an, an individual who says that, hey, I want to do something from hell or high water. I'm going to make it happen. So when I had this idea a year ago, did I figure out all of my funding sources and how I was going to do this and get the you know liquor license and everything else? Nope. But in the same way that I did public school, where I did my own graphics or cooking, you know, doing my own catering and my own Facebook ads, like, hey, I just got to do the research. So for me, it was reading and then figuring out who in the city that I need to talk to and then keep pestering them over and over again in this process. But one of the things I will say in that, that is, is not an easy process. There's a lot of bureaucratical like systems that have been built over time that um, they make it difficult to even make it into opening, right? Mm-hmm. And even for, for me, uh, when you say that I've invested my own capital into this venture, but even the, the funding, right, of getting traditional funding and anything else has taken five to six months worth of underwriting mm-hmm. and closing in that time period, you have to have enough money to sustain yourself yeah. over five months yeah. just to wait on paperwork. Right. We're not talking about anything else. We're talking about paperwork. Mm-hmm. In that, a lot of uh, minority-led businesses right, are traditionally underfunded. Right, They don't go in with a lot of, a lot of capital. So... With that, you eat up all of your initial startup capital that could have been used for equipment, uh, employees, any of these th- things else that would have been more beneficial to you. You c- technically could be out of business before you even open up the door. Well, you start. Yeah. Because, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm talking about I still got another four or five months of construction and equipment coming in and all these different things. Right. That, that is a barrier. And... We, and one of the things that I've recognized is that um, Kalamazoo doesn't traditionally um, match up with the outward presence that we say. Outwardly, we are a diverse and inclusive community. Yeah. Living here, that's not the case. Yeah, it's different. So, which is why for me and where, you know, I've been talking to Melly about is that how do we break down some of these things for the next entrepreneur who comes behind myself mm-hmm. who may not be, have as much capital going into it, right? Yeah, and experience, then to, knowledge. Yeah, and um, and yeah, knowing yeah. which, because it's not just when I say about like the uh, asking the right questions, right? Mm-hmm. You have to know what to ask and yeah. where to get the, like so that's the, the right. research that you don't know that you don't even know yeah uh, unknown <laughs> unknowns yeah right you know mm-hmm. yeah. because you know in this process is that i have about 15 professionals that i have to hire so you oh, have yeah. your your architect your designer yeah i have two lawyers yeah. <laughs> you got your accountant yeah the food equipment provider all these different things 
but these aren't Googleable, so they're not. Right. So it's literally me going through the process, watching a, a YouTube video, figuring out something, mm-hmm. and then calling and say like, "Hey, do y'all have somebody who who does this? Somebody and somebody right. connects me like, oh yeah, we do that, and we could do this, this, and this, and that's where I recognize. Oh, I missed that part of it. Yeah, the, the puzzle. And it's it's not um, it's not free. No, mm-hmm. um, you know you everybody got an hourly rate. Yeah, rare is the case that you you get some pro bono. But yeah, it's not free. So from a from an entrepreneurial lens, um, that adds up to another expense, another cost. And like you said, you if you already, you know, um, if it's if it's some instability there already, especially related to capital. Yeah, man, there's could, already a huge disparity uh, already. Yeah, mm-hmm. and and not only the the capital disparities that you also have the personal things that go on with this is that when I first started public school years ago and I told people I wanted to do a Sunday party here, mm-hmm. first thing people tell me is that it's not gonna work. Nobody's around here paying that the, right. the money for that. We're not uh, doing that. A Sunday day party too, yeah. right? People mm-hmm. tell me it's not gonna work. It's not gonna work. Why do you? Why are you wasting your time here? Why don't you go down to Atlanta or somebody else? Mm-hmm. And it's the same thing that even when I talk about like the bar endeavor, I've had individuals tell me, why Kalamazoo? Why? You could go somewhere else, mm. go back to Cleveland, go to Detroit. That's, it's that's, more uh, that's crazy. Yep, that's so it's telling. More, yep. It's so, you know, whatever. But for me, one of the things that I, of why I've been able to be successful doing events or anything else is that I trust how I feel and I trust I am great at numbers. Mm-hmm. So to me, the reason why people aren't doing things like that, you know, here or anything else, is because they don't have the opportunity. And if you provide them with the opportunity, they'll stop traveling to Grand Rapids, Chicago, and Detroit on the weekends and now stay here. Mm-hmm. You know, another in addition to that, mm-hmm. like just straight up bottom line, is worked, right? Mm-hmm. You know, um, I'm sure you've had some challenges and setbacks, but overall, the events have been effective and successful so i mean it's just it's just like food like you can have the most beautiful looking dish um once you once you put in your mouth if it sucks you're like yo no you're gonna remember that yeah yeah and it and you and it's not you know it's you're not gonna move forward so Mm -hmm. it's like the events have been safe they've been inclusive a bunch of other things it's like it's at the end of the day it has worked you know, and so, you know, it's that's that's what resonates with me. In addition mm-hmm. to like the person that you are, but the the actual events work right, and that's a big mm-hmm. that's a big part of it. Um, I've spoken with a lot of entrepreneurs, and they think they have a good service or product, and it's like you can you should tweak that a little bit. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's like. You know, they keep putting, you know, uh, good money after bad. It's like, mm-hmm. yeah. So, and you got to be willing to be uncomfortable. I'm going to mm. tell you the most uncomfortable situation is throwing an event and people don't buy their tickets until two weeks before the event. <laughs> huh? You don't yeah. know nervous <laughs> until <laughs> you got vendors, you got anything else. So, granted, all my events sell out, right? Yeah. And it's been great. Yeah. People don't buy their tickets until two 
weeks before the event and majority of them seven days before the event starts i know right? do you know the pain that you go through <laughs> at home like how what am i gonna do it's too late i can't cancel now because i've already got you know commitments and these these aren't cheap commitments it's several thousand so yeah. you say how did i go too big or anything else you know but you know what i've what i've learned in this uh process and why i say it you know it's the baby steps of going from a bar crawl to doing a day party to doing banquets and now doing the bars that I understand people. Mm -hmm. So the way that I've been able to be successful in this process is just my understanding of people, but my care is that I do a lot of work in the, in the community. So I go to people, majority of people's birthdays that they invite me to. Uh, I go to a lot of different e events and stuff like that. Why? Because it's my, it's the trust that I'm building with individuals that, mm -hmm. hey, he shows that he cares about uh, me, so mm -hmm. I'm going to support his stuff. And then two, I am very transparent. Anybody can ask me whatever it is uh, about business. Yeah, um, I d still do consulting. Um, I still can walk you through the process, mm -hmm. what a good deal is, what a bad deal is, how to do le lease negotiations, all these different things. I can connect you with my lawyers, yeah. all these different things. So all these different tools that it took me time to build, mm -hmm. I'll give it to you. There you go. And, and, and part of, of that and the willingness to be transparent and to continue to do good things, for instance, at my uh, parties, right, majority of people wouldn't even know it's my event because I'm walking around picking up trash off the floor. Mm -hmm. Why am I picking up trash off the floor at my loafers? Because I know that if there's trash on the floor, that's going to it that's going to affect your experience. Yeah. And I want you to have the best time ever. So majority of the time, I remember uh, one gentleman when we had first started and it was really busy. So I was busting tables and I had on uh, my loafers and you know, a gentleman came over. He's like, they really got you working hard. And I, he was like, they got to pay you more. And I said, actually, my event. He's like, well, why are you cleaning, cleaning up the table? I said, because I care about you being here. Yeah. So I want to make sure you, you're good. Do you need another drink? You what your your food is is late. Yeah. Let me go in the back and go and go get it right now. And because I care more about the work than I do the the glamour and the mm -hmm. glitz of it, is why I've been able to just continue to trust the process. And I do thoroughly believe that Kalamazoo, with the the growth that we're we're having, the new uh, apartment buildings that we're building, mm -hmm. the one thing that we're lacking on is what do people do? Yeah. And that's a that's a long-standing question, mm -hmm. right? Because we have all these brand new apartment buildings and know. you know new housing, but what are people even, doing? Even people the um, by our office, the hotel. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they don't you know you don't just throw that up if if it's nothing if it's nothing around. Right. And to talk about, I don't know if this is still a goal, but it has been a conversation for some years. Uh. A stadium or arena downtown? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, That's you, right by where your place will be, too, and by our office. Yeah. yeah. So you definitely don't throw something like that up without um, factoring in the uh, external uh, mm -hmm. environment of what's around. Because, yeah, it's, it's always connected in terms of it's a main thing, then what is it to do? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Because, and that's the, the thing when we talk about business successes. Mm-hmm without focusing on those surrounding activities, right? Um, what reason are we giving people 
to after they graduate mm-hmm. Western or K College or anywhere yeah. else for you to stay here. Yeah. Right. What it all circles yeah. back to because, that. Because right. you don't, you, you haven't started the process of having kids. Mm-hmm. Mostly you're a single adult. If we aren't giving you reasons, activities, and things to do here, why wouldn't you just move? Yeah. There's What's nothing the, to mm-hmm. So, yeah, you can have a nice, you know, uh, condo and apartment downtown. Mm-hmm. But what do you do at 10 or 11 o'clock when majority of stuff in Kalamazoo right now closes at uh, 10 or 11? It's right. quiet. Yeah. So right. there's not, there's only like two or three things that are open yeah. uh, afterwards. So in that, mm-hmm. which is why I'm really excited for this brand new venture. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it'll bring some new energy to our downtown. And, you know, part of what I want to see is more young entrepreneurs, mm-hmm. right? Majority of entrepreneurs that are in my space don't get here until they're mid forties, almost fifties. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's nothing wrong with that. Right. But I think that there's some perspective that younger entrepreneurs bring to the table. Mm-hmm. Always. There's, a couple things that I wanted to go back to. Yeah. Um, and I wanted to go back to worthy worthiness. Uh, a couple weeks ago, I attended a, there's like this WMU Entrepreneurship Pro Forum. Uh, and Jamari Bogan was on there. And he's a Western grad. Went to, played football for Western. And then now um, is a first-time developer over, he bought some property um, over on Frank Street. Brownfield property is going to do housing and a YMCA daycare. So one of the top five things that he mentioned was reminders or lessons to himself, which I see a lot of connections here is like, you are worthy. And he had to keep telling himself that over and over. He's super young too. In his late twenties, he was told over and over, you too, you're too young you don't have enough experience over and over. And he saw those as negatives when he realized like, no, these are actually positives. These are positive things that give him an up. Like he had, he, he doesn't have a lot of the same experience so he can bring new ideas to the table, different ways of doing things. And that comes with knowing that you're worthy enough. And I think in, in the, in your community, in the black community, there isn't enough of that. There's, you aren't good enough. You, you know, there's been so much systemic racism for so long that you don't think it's worth it. So like people like you are coming forward and saying like this, I am worth it. And then that's connected to the like pleasure and the joy and experiencing like happiness, Mm -hmm. being able to go to a place and know like, Hey, I'm safe here. I can have joy here. I deserve to have joy. I just want to lift that up because I think I've heard it in many other conversations I've been having, and I feel like it's not talked about enough uh, that we all deserve a place that we can feel good. We don't have to keep working all the time to feel like just because we're, if we're not productive, that doesn't, that doesn't mean like we should, we should be able to feel joy no matter what. Yeah. So I think that feeds a lot into what you're working on. That's, that's a connection to that larger, like uh, that umbrella of narrative Mm-hmm. and the, and the, you know, the narrative, you know, how we, how we tell, not just individually, like in Jamari's case or for many others, but like community-wide as a society, like those messages, the messaging, the narrative pieces that are consistently bombarded at folks, like, yeah, you're not worthy. Like, don't even try this, you know? Right. And it's like, yeah, yeah, 
Yeah, that's that's interesting. Well, that's where we do the um, the gatekeeping on entrepreneurship, right? Is that we hold information, we make it extremely difficult for you to get up and started, especially if you want to be legal. Oh, the, <laughs> um, yeah, the, the entry. Yep, yeah, mm-hmm. the entry. There's a cost to this. Mm-hmm. It is, it is almost like we put a a painful experience to this and make it say like we're gonna make this as painful as possible and if <laughs> right. you can make it through this you deserve to be like a, like a hazing yeah or this it perverse, is. like a perverse yeah. yeah it's just like yeah and then if you make it to the other side like you know something like that can transform people mm-hmm. and how they view things and in which you know you may have uh, an individual may start with great intentions but you know after that process you could be transformed in which now it's like you you end up perpetuating yeah that that type of mentality and behavior to it's like yeah well i made it so i'm i must be straight now i'm gonna withhold information like you mentioned being transparent which is great but you know some folks say okay well i made it now i'm gonna withhold information because you know Cause it's I like got I, mine. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah, I right. got mine, and it's yeah, it's just it's crazy. Um, when you zoom out, we as a whole, we can have much more. We just have mm-hmm. much more, right? If right. folks saying we, it's the greatest nation on earth, and you know, Kalamazoo is a great community, right? In its in its current state, it's like okay, imagine how much better it could be if you know. We made those tweaks. It's like, dude, we could really be crushing it. Sharing, you know, a, yeah. a city who does great job at planning, mm-hmm. Des Moines, Iowa. What? Yeah. Uh, went there, mind you, I'm an avid traveler. Yeah. Phenomenal. And what I mean is that they turn their downtown entertainment district. Mm-hmm. So on the weekends, they block it off. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's blocked off the most security and police presence I've ever seen. Whatever checking people coming from the parking garage. Mm-hmm. Never seen that before. So it's restaurants, bars. In the middle of the street, they have a live uh, stage with somebody like performing in the middle of the street. And then on the weekend, on the morning, that changes into a farmer's market. Mm. The whole downtown? Yep. Well, it's a it's the entertainment. It's district, entertainment. So it's like yeah. six blocks. Yeah, mm-hmm. gotcha. So on the weekend, it's entertainment and crack down and it's great bars, uh, and restaurants and of every kind, and then on the weekend, that same six blocks turns into a full-out farmers market. Every weekend, yeah. I need it to is. go check that out. It is brilliant. It's brilliant planning of how to engage people mm-hmm. to come down, which is one of the things that I think the Kalamazoo has to do better. What is there for people to come downtown for? What incentivizes you to come downtown? You're not coming down for shopping because we don't have any major. Retail outlets downtown. Yeah, it's, it's sparse. Yeah. <laughs> Is sparse that, yeah. yeah, but it, it, we don't have, you know, it's not a major grocery store. It's not a major retail outlet. Mm-hmm. On the weekend, why would you come downtown? Mm. What's that value proposition? Yeah. Yeah. No, that, that's in, people are talking about that right now. I think it's a really good question. Yeah. That they need to, to have, on. they need to pay Daniel to come up with, yeah. a, with a strategy but, it, but it's it's is that when you say about engaging people because i believe that in order to have a 
thriving, growing community, you have to have a thriving downtown district, mm. a mm-hmm. hub in which people are coming in. Central. People are coming mm-hmm. into this, then they can live in their individual neighborhoods, right. which may have a bar or restaurant there, but still be connected. Yeah. But right now we'll have an individual neighborhood has a bar or something there, which is great, but then there's nothing to do. It's not it's a wide gap. Yeah. 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 So and down and the downtown, our downtown is I mean, it's surrounded by by those neighborhoods. So yeah. it behooves us to link the two. I mean, mm-hmm. my work is Shared Prosperity Kalamazoo focuses on three neighborhoods is roughly 20 plus in the city proper but the neighborhoods of SPK focus are have the highest amounts of concentrated poverty also the highest demographics of people of color I mean literally on the map our downtown is here it is surrounded on three sides by those neighborhoods Mm -hmm. so you know, it it's always confound. It's still it confounds me on how we can invest so much in downtown, um, but those three areas. You know, not linking them, not linking the two. Because, yeah. like you said, it's yeah. You could come downtown within if you're going mm-hmm. around in those neighborhoods. It's like it's very sparse and you know patchworky. It is. Yeah, and vice versa. Like, um. You know, with the, those neighborhoods consistent major, you know, major part of my upbringing and my universe coming up. And like you said, yeah, it was like, unless you really thought different, it was like, well, why would I go downtown? Yeah, it's not <laughs> even a thought that mm-hmm. comes across your your mind, which is where, you know, I hope that, you know, uh, Dabney and company can at least be an anchor mm-hmm. that then provides that, hey, yeah, we prove that this, this can work and mind you and i say about proof is because we proved it through our events over two something years that people here um want to do stuff they're willing to spend money to do it yeah they want something that's upscale they want to be out here you know intermingling with people mm-hmm. um and if we can do that in, in anchor how do we then get other businesses that say like yep this is worth it yep we need some some new things and i mean different concepts yeah and mm-hmm. not just we're opening up another restaurant yeah uh, oh because that no. that doesn't do anything that gets you uh really excited about being downtown there has to be for not me con- not yeah, consistently and, and for for me i believe that i win in our project if other people open up yeah mm-hmm. but if other people open up there's other places for people to go. Right. So you could go so there helping, and you come here. It's helping everybody. Yeah. Yeah. So, so it's, I, you I win if there's more yeah. uh, folks who are opening up businesses and thriving. That have different value propositions. Yeah. So it's like, yeah, you know, we can, and, and your establishment up and running um, is effective, successful. You can go to other people's spots. So, mm-hmm. yeah, uh, Dabney and Cole a as an anchor and a, a seed slash catalyst to get other folks um involved. I like the idea of of um different concepts too and not just business as usual, no pun intended, in <laughs> terms of yeah, it's another restaurant down here. This restaurant closed, but this is another restaurant that's gonna be opening up here. Mm-hmm. They'll just be serving some different food and it's like, what? 
You know, yeah, I, w- like, I want to be able to stay downtown. I would love to be able to come downtown and stay, like hang out for the evening and be able to go to multiple places mm-hmm. and not necessarily have it all be a place where I have to spend money, yeah. you know, just and a place I, that I can hang. And I've had uh, people whenever they, you know, my family comes from in Cleveland, mm-hmm. people always ask, well, what are we going to do? <laughs> you know, would I come, why would I come visit you? I know. I got nothing there. And that, that's the first thing that they, they I know. What are we going to do in Kalamazoo? Especially black fam. Yeah. Too. What are we going to do in Kalamazoo? Yeah. And yeah. it's like, dude, okay. Uh, besides you love me, you know, I like to see you. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. Like, so, like that's right. Yeah, but it's like, once we, once we get that out the way. Like, Lily, I've had family come for graduation. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, my sister did come did this summer rent, but this is but that is after I have already been here in Michigan uh fifteen, sixteen years. Yeah. Uh so we had a great time, but right. part of that is that one of the days we went to Chicago. See? So mm-hmm. it was, you know, uh whenever I tell people that it, their thought is why don't you just come to where I live? I live in DC. I, know. I live in, in Cleveland. Why why aren't you coming? Why would I come to, to Kalamazoo? That doesn't get there. Mm-hmm. Uh, balls rolling yeah. on on those things. And that's where I think that we have to be more intentional with how we design our, our downtown, mm-hmm. how we provide funding, um, and where, you know, as I've been in this process, it's been great, mm-hmm. great. Uh Recognizing that there's some kinks in the system, and then, as Melody can tell you, I am very vocal on things that I do not like and why they are challenges and why they make no sense. Right. Uh, so, but I think you say yeah. it in a way that's not turning people. Like I, yeah. I want to hear it, and I there's a way that, like, of course, yeah. I just it, it's a way that you're inviting me in to be part of the solution. Yeah. And well, a lot of my stuff is that I just ask why. Mm-hmm. Okay, you have this this procedure that you do. Why? Mm-hmm. Where did they come from? And, and who made it, the decision? Yeah, is yeah. it providing any value? That's is the there thing re- that I'm on. Yeah. I don't, I don't, because I, I get, and I get this all the time for folks that, that, you know, complain about processes, right? So mm-hmm. one of my loves and passions is project management, as dull as that may sound to others. I like it. So with projects, you know, uh, Process plus people mm-hmm. tends to equal success, right? It's a process. You you manage processes. You lead people, right? And so you have all these structures in place, but if you treat people like crap or the experience, yeah. right? A lot of your ventures have been around experience, and people remember that, right? Mm-hmm. People internalize that, and so it's like, yeah, you got all. You could have these processes. And it's like, what's, what's the value delivery? How are we delivering value via this process? That's yeah. the thing that I'm big on. Like, you know, I'm sure everything is, cr- even the craziest stuff, it's a logic to it, mm-hmm. right? Just because you may not comprehend it doesn't mean it's absent, but it's a logic to it. So it's like, okay, that aside, what value is it delivering though mm-hmm. based on, who you say you are trying to, with whom you are trying to engage, right? Mm-hmm. You know, if I want to engage my nine-year-old, but I'm like, you know, just all on some super adult level stuff, it's like, okay, 
I say I want to engage my nine-year-old, but it's no value delivery there because yeah. I'm not really tuning in. Or so it's like I get it. If we need processes. That's a given. But yeah, to your point of why, like why do we have this particular processee, and how is it delivering the value yeah. that you claim? Well, you as know, I've been in this project, um, we've had some conversation about. Um, there's normally some waiting time. Mm -hmm. like, oh, I had, you know, um, I submitted my application, you know, for my redevelopment license. Uh, normally, we don't see anybody until the next month, mm -hmm. right? And as I was going through this, you know, uh, one of the individuals who was, you know, helping me, because I challenged them on, why? Mm -hmm. Why am I waiting a month? Yeah. Doesn't make sense. It's a piece. It's a piece of paper. Just read it. Thirty days. Yeah, read it. So she recognized, like, yep, actually, this is this is done. We can get you in next week. And she pushed back on other people on this makes no sense because also one of the things when I talk about the gatekeeping, mm -hmm. it costs money. The longer you make me wait, the more capital I have to expend. And if you're telling me that I'm just waiting thirty days for somebody to read something, so literally there's no reason why we're waiting thirty days. This is just the process mm -hmm. or, you know, um, we have licenses, you know, or other things that are available for economic development here in the city, but there's often nobody at the city to tell you how to actually go through the process. Mm -hmm. So, you know, um, all of my stuff with the MLCC, right? Mm -hmm. Nobody has it in an answer. It took me, six, seven months to find uh, my particular now, my liquor license lawyer mm -hmm. who understands the process at MLCC, Michigan Liquor Control. Uh, Commission? Yep. Okay. Before that, even though the city signs off on these documents for the liquor license to be approved and they send them over to the state and you have all these thresholds at the city level, nobody could tell me how to go through the process. Mm -hmm. So in that, right, uh, which is my issue, I'm just extra in this, that I've done all of my own paperwork. Mm -hmm. I've done all of my own paperwork and all of my submissions to MLCC. I've written every document that I've sent. Mm. Why? Because I had to figure out and just think of, hey, here's what I want to do. Mm -hmm. And then call my, my lawyer and say, could I do this? Right. Does this work? And yeah. say, yep, that's it. But the thing is, the city doesn't have an example of what these type of letters look out that you need to send, mm -hmm. um, who you need to send for, how yeah. much time is appropriate. So I've called. And that's to the state, right? Yeah. Okay. Because, you know, the, the city approves you initially, but then you had to go to the state. Yeah. To, it's seven steps in the process. Right. Right. Um, in that, how can there be a city level decision, right, that you're required to go through, but nobody actually knows what the hell this is? Mm. Mm -hmm. That yeah, doesn't agree. make sense to me. So now I'm guessing mm. and then hope that I can piece together enough stuff to then hope uh, I'm getting it right. Yeah, because I'm not I don't have. Uh, massive amounts of lawyers behind me right, who right. Would just say, oh, well, we'll just do yeah. paperwork with the styles of doc. You know what I mean? It's like a multiple uh, multiple choice 
uh, test, would you did you just get the test uh, um, the day before? Yeah. It's like yeah. I got some choices, but I ain't. I'm, so and, that, and that's where I say is that we have things at the city level that the city, you know, uh, council votes on, mm-hmm. but then there's no there's no information out there on how do you go from here to then getting your license approved from the state. Yeah, because nobody even at the city understood even the city's process. Right. So if you don't understand the city's process and then you approve me for uh, the DDA, you know, um, and getting me, you know, these licenses and say, okay, now we submit it over to the state. Y'all don't know what to do at the, at the state. Mm-hmm. What do I need? The state has a ton of paperwork that the city didn't have. Mm. So mind that the you, city should have had? The city, to me, mm-hmm. Should at least prepare it and say that, hey, when you get to the state level, these are the things they're going to ask for. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They're going to ask you, you just this. So, yeah, you did the, the application process with right. the and you got the proof of redevelopment and all the other stuff. Yeah. But this is actually the, the easiest part of it. Right. The state wants yeah, that's 10 another, or 12 different documents. That's another level. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 10 or 12 different documents. And they want to in a specific way. So, in that, by the time that you get to the state level, right? You're spending another month or two at the state level gathering all the the paperwork that you didn't know that you needed at the at the city mm-hmm. level. Right? Yeah, and yeah. it's in our best interest, I think, to prepare business owners if we want to have more businesses downtown, especially or yeah. anywhere. We need to know, we need to prepare you for the whole. Like almost, I see us as like a kit or a just a website of, to show, like, hey, these are the things you're going to need. Here's how you fill them out. Here's the staff person's contact number. Yeah, because in the, in this whole uh, thing, a lot of this, which, you know, and I've told Melody this about, like, uh, being thankful to her um, and her commitment to me in this project, because a lot of it has been, I don't know the answer. Melody doesn't know the answer either. But what she will do is find out the person in the city who does, who is supposed to know that. Right, and you're talking about like the building commission, all these different like things that, um, which is why I say the gatekeeping is, I've had to have so many meetings and sign offs mm-hmm. on city building project mm-hmm. review, all these different things. But when you look online, you don't know that these are necessary. You don't know that hey, I got a business idea and I want to open up. Yeah, there's actually a whole process that you have to do in order to even open up your front door. Yeah, yeah, that's a yeah. That I found that too. In some in some cases, you know, speaking a lot of entrepreneurs, um, a lot of black ones in particular. But I wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily say it's a specific too, because entrepreneurship is just it's a difficult thing. Um, it could have a good payoff, but you know, it's a it's a lot that goes into that. Mm-hmm. And yeah. like you said, if if folks. You know, it's a feeling of like being blindsided in some cases, but yeah, a lot of people I've I've spoken with, they are like married to the idea and you know, they got the passion, but it's like, yeah, all that other stuff, right? I want to start X, you know, and they thinking about that, but just all those other little things that add up and Mm -hmm. compound. And it's like, and like you said, it's, it's not free. So it's not just the financial cost associated, but like time. Like you said, you doing your own research mm-hmm. and investig- investigatory work. Mm-hmm. 
that's time. <laughs> that's time. You know, time uh, is money. Yeah, hopefully, yeah. it hopefully it can pay off. But I mean, you doing all that stuff, and again, opportunity costs. So it's like you doing that. You know, I could have been doing this and been co- closer to like literally opening and, the doors. You know, and the other thing that we don't even prepare uh, <laughs> business on us for it's. So I also wrote my entire business plan is like 20 something pages so mm-hmm. I, because i do finance yeah i did all of my numbers yep even at the the, the business plan that i did mm-hmm. right it is appropriate for clients that i work for that need to have like ideas right what you don't know is when you get into the closing process and underwriting the amount of questions that they ask you, the traditional business plan does not work. Mm. You mm. have to add things in there that you didn't think that you had added. Mm-hmm. How many glasses do you plan to have at the bar? Wow. What is your plan to advertise five years from now? What is your the real questions? Spit, yeah. What is your spillage? You know, uh, drinks. Where did you get your numbers from? How did you calculate this? What spillage? For the listeners, spillage is your um, the pouring alcohol. So spillage is the amount of alcohol that you're losing in a bottle that you're not actually selling. So spilling it or spillage is you know for most drinks it's a one to a one and a half ounce pour. If you have a bartender who's heavy handed or they want to get uh, tips or anything else, they're making a really strong drink. So maybe they might be doing a two. Uh, two ounce pour. At a two ounce pour, you were losing several percentages off of your bottle. Um, it's estimated that out of a package of 12, it, you know, with a traditional case of liquor, mm-hmm. one of those bottles you won't even sell. If you think about that over the course of the year, that's several thousand dollars. It adds up. Yeah, it'd be ten to a hundred thousand dollars worth of liquor that you didn't actually sell. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. math, not magic. Yeah. So, yeah. so that's oh, one of the things that I, I talk about. There's a lot of difficulty in this process, right? That has extended time, has added to you know um, my time being longer. But in that, it's because I've had to figure things out while I'm in the midst of the process. Like, oh, I actually need to to, to find this person. I need to hire and pay you know this person. Like now, I I can tell you that I have like fifteen something different professionals mm-hmm. um, and you don't think that your your architect your designer your contractor are not the same people mm-hmm. but the three of them all have to come up with the same schedule mm. for what gets done when who does what your furniture provider your food equipment your liquor distribution company you got to create a, a menu or what cocktails are available, all these different things. And then, right, you also have to have the fire marshal approve you for your occupancy. It's all these different things, right? Or even as I found out, right, um, the reason why most bathrooms don't have a lid on the seat Mm. is because of ADA compliance and you can't have a lid on the seat. Mm. Didn't know that. Right. (laughs) Yeah, I didn't know that there, there's actually, which Melody has, uh, we found out, right, in code, 
there's a cap on how many people you can have in your venue depending on how many bathrooms you have. But not just how many bathrooms you have, but depending to what type of business you're actually going to run. If you are a bar or nightclub, you need this many amount of bathrooms. If you're a catering hall, you need this many. Yeah. Didn't know that. Yeah. So all these different like things, when I say that they they add to the cost and the knowledge is that there's a gatekeeping that we have on entrepreneurship that it is often discouraging. Yeah. Is that you have this great idea and then you find out and that it's, and it's studied getting uh, it's like it's getting uh, tripped away. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's like when you say gatekeeping, I even think of like a little more extreme of like we have intentionally blocked access mm-hmm. for generations and now we're like really slowly opening up access but i think in some of the meetings and organizations i work with people are like well they don't know who's they you know like well they don't know that they needed to do this in their business plan well no <laughs> it's not that they don't know it's that we've intentionally blocked access i don't i feel like yeah. that's a very well, it's, it's two, two very different things well it's both it sounds like because but I think well, there's you, more blame with the other side. There's like, oh, well, they're dumb. They don't know. Well, no, <laughs> we're dumb. We, yeah, I just, it, I think that gets easily confused or like, it's just a good reminder of like, okay, yes, we have as white people, I guess we could say that we've intentionally blocked access for a really long time. And when people say we don't, we don't need to help people of color, we need to like stay back and stand back and let, let you teach us because we, you obviously know you're resistant. You've been resistant for so many years that you know better than we do, probably. <laughs> I'm hearing, I mean, it's probably some truth to the access blocking. Mm-hmm. But what I heard from Daniel is like, um, it's folks within the organizations that didn't even know stuff. Yeah. So it's yes. like, it's like, okay, it's a lot of stuff. You know, as an entrepreneur, you you may not know, right? You going in, but then if it's stuff, you know, you learn, and then you get to the entity that's supposed to assist, and you like, okay, well, I got a question, and it's just basic, and it's like, mm, well, I don't know, <laughs> you know, it's like you supposed to be the entity that's mm-hmm. assisting, so at a base level you should have some foundational understanding of, okay, just like he said, if you engaging with the state, the, the city, it does sound reasonable that the city would be like, be able to help. Like, okay, mm-hmm. um, we the city level, the city, you know, we talk about systems all the time. The city is nested within, um, you know, state regulations, whatever, right? It seems reasonable that, city organization if we're trying to help entrepreneurs we would be knowledgeable about you know the state level because that's going to the other level you know we're not controlling lansing so it's like okay um you know you're dealing with us now we help you out you're about to deal with the state uh we we should have a conversation about that Mm -hmm. because that's some next level stuff and we totally can't tell them what to do right so i mean it seems reasonable that that would be, especially if we know. And right. The, and the thing is, right, and my fiance used this example earlier, um, and I'm relating this to like the city process and doing things legal. Mm-hmm. 
I have an accountant to do my taxes, mm-hmm. right? Because I have business, right? I c- if I don't file my taxes, the IRS knows how much I owe them. Mm-hmm. But for some reason, I need to pay somebody to tell me <laughs> what I what I owe them. So right. like, I could open up a business today yeah. and start selling liquor. Mm-hmm. The city will come and shut me down, but somehow, nobody at the city can tell me what the hell to do in order to to get the process. Yeah. But you know that I, but you could you could come if I if I do it though. The, you know what I mean? Yeah. And yeah. that and that's the, yeah. <laughs> if you're doing it, it's like yeah, we could shut you down. But it's like if I wanted to start doing it and do it the right way, you couldn't help me get up though. Right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's so true. I've seen that with a couple of their businesses that have just expanded their uh, their use, mm-hmm. I guess. Right. And they've gotten in trouble or shut down, and then we should be on the other side, and we haven't been. Yeah. So it's like, yeah, you shut me down. Okay, well, you know, and it may be some, some, some rationale and justification for that. Yeah. But it's like, yeah. okay, you shut me down. Clearly, you know, something is off here. Well, I want to do it right. I don't. I don't want to get shut down. I want to do it right. I want to, you know, run my business. Help me out with that. And it's like crickets. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that ain't right. Nah. nah and then we have it. some staff to do that, but I mean, it's Paul and I, and we are. That's it. Supposed to be doing helping businesses. We're seventy thousand people in the city. Mm-hmm. One or two people, and yeah, it's a lot. It's. We're adding staff slowly, but it'll get better. Mm-hmm. But it, I mean, we have a lot of work to do. Yeah. And it is where, you know, it's what we said about what you don't know. Mm-hmm. It's people don't even know, like, you know, the, the process. Then I got insurance. Mm. I have several insurances. Yeah. Get an umbrella, mm-hmm. a liquor license. Yeah. An insurance if somebody doesn't get uh hire you don't hire them they can sue you so there's insurance mm-hmm. for that wow umbrella insurance mm-hmm. workman's comp yeah all of these different things that you say all these things uh, these are not like big mm-hmm. big deals but right. the thing is, is when i say about the complexity yeah to mm-hmm. running a business or why i have an accountant it's because there's so much room for you to mess up for error yeah and once yeah. you mess up it's costly you jeopardize everything it's costly yeah <laughs> so be, oh man it, but the thing is there's this is not googleable mm. you can't you even with google is that they'll tell you uh about getting a business plan mm-hmm. and stuff together right yeah and getting your ein right number yeah but nobody tells you your business plan doesn't mean anything if your credit is bad. They're not gonna get you a loan. Yeah. Right. None. They want it. It's not even like a conversation. No. So so it's like we harp so much on the business plan, but we don't talk about how much your personal finances matter towards whether a bank will give you something or not. A right? traditional, yeah, yeah, traditional bank. And, and that's a whole nother level in in yeah, just so just we how almost, they think. So it's almost we're setting you up for failure because I'm giving you false hopes. Yeah. If you get, uh, I, I mean, you know, when I was young doing entrepreneurship, I remember so many times of being in, you know, business planning, you know, competitions and learning how to pitch, mm-hmm. all different things. And what they don't tell you is 
A, it's not easy to to then take this business plan to get financing. Mm-hmm. Uh, B, pitching is an art form. Mm-hmm. And it's something that's done over time. Yeah. As I said, I host my events. I'm used to speaking in front of people. Yes. So doing those things then prepares me when I do an interview on TV or anything else. But I've had to actively sit there in front of a mirror and watch myself speak mm-hmm. and say, ah, I talk too much with my hands. Or other times, like today, I'm intentionally talking <laughs> with my my hands. Yeah. Is that it, it, but it's it's where you learn how to do a 30-second pitch, a 60-second, a five-minute, and the, a pitch is in what are you asking for? Are you asking for capital, mm-hmm. which is different? Yeah. You need to hit different marks if you ask for capital. Then right. if I'm pitching you because I just want you to be excited about Dabney and Company opening. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's where I say the And the 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 you said it's it's a art, it's it's a art and a science. Like a lot mm-hmm. of a lot of things. And it seems so simple because we a lot of us are used to, you know, the PowerPoint presentations or whatever. That's mm-hmm. different than a pitch. Yeah. Right? And not only is it a not only is it a ask but it's also again that that value proposition like yeah not to sound crass but like the you know what's in it for me yeah. you know it's like okay yeah what's the what's um, yeah. what's the big idea that's the stuff the, that i need help with too public speaking and we need the school of daniel may right here you're going to send us an invoice <laughs> <laughs> but yeah but that's <laughs> that stuff like you said they don't the business plans cuz i have some uh some folks that had exposure with the SBDC, uh, Small Business Development Center, and you know, yeah, like you, and then the Google stuff, right? Like, yeah, the business plan, the EIN, and it's like, yeah, like you said, you can find that stuff out, but then you get to that point and realize, oh, well, that other thing was probably way more important. They did the credit thing, especially. Yeah. Like, yo, that was way more important and, than having a 20-page mm-hmm. business plan. And that the other thing as well, right, is people have to recognize years ago when I was doing uh, my company and I was pitching in um, and starting gate at Western for the incubator program, I didn't recognize at the time I wasn't ready to lead. Lead, you said? Yes. Mm-hmm and the understanding of what life experience, education, I'm now in my MBA program, uh, it, your credentials as a, a founder um, and a leader of an organization, learning these skills on how to lead. Mm-hmm. And sometimes, you know, is that I've, I've seen some young entrepreneurs and I commend them on you know their drive, but sometimes that you know when I say with that I'm like, hi, you're gonna struggle. Mm. You're gonna struggle getting somebody to listen to you mm. because of your age. Mm. Now, I know that that sounds like hard, but I'm just giving the the truth about business. Mm-hmm. It's hard if you are if you say that you're a business owner and you're 19 years old and you're leading a team that's in their 40s, mm. even though you're you're their boss, they don't respect you. Mm. Know that that sounds like difficult in the process, but it's where I say about like the learning and 
spending more time. And sometimes when we get so um, enthused with entrepreneurship, sometimes the best answer is waiting. Mm-hmm. It's waiting and learning your craft. I have studied my craft. So in studying my craft, I understand how to then pitch you and to get you to be excited about this bar opening up and you believe me because I have results. Right. So you, you and me talking about this stuff, but you believe me because of my results of the success of those businesses. Mm-hmm. So in that it adds validity to your story. And, it, and that's the thing is that when we talk about business plans and that we miss out we miss out on the personal finance portion mm-hmm. and we miss out on your resume mm-hmm. and why are you and this is something that it took me a long time to understand is why are you the guy why yeah. is it you and not somebody else right mm-hmm. right and that's what most uh people especially with capital which is part of the the talking point it's i could just take your idea and put my guy in it right why do i need you though yeah and that's where, you know, where I say the disconnect that we have about entrepreneurship is that we're setting people up for failure because we're just providing you with the breadcrumbs of what entrepreneurship is. And then we're sending you like, oh, okay, we'll go to PNC mm-hmm. and go try to get a loan. Yeah. And I don't tell you that mm-hmm. when you get there, they're going to deny your, your thing because you have to do this, this right. other work. Yeah. Um yeah yeah that's crazy man that's crazy yeah yeah i mean studying your craft is always beneficial i don't care what that is i mean you know dave Chappelle, seinfeld no matter what it is it could be something you you're not into but you look at the greats and you look at folks who who make things look easy Mm -hmm. they've studied their craft and that's that's the reason that's one reason that they make it look easy because they put that they put that sweat equity in to learn all the 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 nuances the unsexy things most people you know we visual so you know they like you said they looking at the outside the glamour the glitz or whatever but um you know to like in your case you know running a bar or, or some establishment that sells alcohol, and it's like spillage, yeah, that's something that it would be totally over their head, right? right? But they would want a bar, they want to bump, uh, jump a nightclub, right? But it's like, have you factored in spillage? What does that look like, you know? And yeah, most people don't want to engage on that level, you know? Right. And that's, yeah, that's what separates the greats from a lot of others. They study their craft and, you know, through repetition, time, it looks easy. Um, but, yeah, it's a lot. It's a lot that goes into that. And the, the other thing that I would say, the best way to do business, uh-huh. to prove something, Yeah, get your first $1,000 in sales. First 1000 in sales. So study your craft, sales. Learn how to learn how to sell. What would be another another? You job? need it. Oh, the personal it. finances. Yep. Mm-hmm. And so, you need at least uh, a year mm-hmm. before you can even apply to most uh, things. Mm-hmm. That, in order to apply to most funding yeah. sources, you need to prove that you've been in a business for at least a year. Okay. 
So get your get your personal finances in order. Study your craft and then get some sales. Learn how to learn how to sell. At least a, a thousand dollars worth of something. But you know, learn how to sell, study your craft and get your get your personal finances. Stuff That's it. stuff that you, you probably won't find in Google. Um so you know what? This has been officially our longest episode and I could talk another I could listen another <laughs> I know, hour me too. And a half. So I feel like we have some themes coming out of here that we maybe could bring into some other episodes in the future. Top five business lessons. Mm -hmm. Daniel May yeah. cuts it. Yeah. We got I mean, I can think of some other episodes we could do with you, Daniel. So yeah, I was open to it. Yeah, so I want to. Yeah, I want to thank you, Daniel May, for taking your time, um, sharing your knowledge, experiences, uh, story, and um, time yeah. is money. So he, <laughs> thank you for taking the time today. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So uh, thank you. I think we got the close out. Yeah, we can skip the questions we normally do too. Oh, okay. I'm okay with that. All right. All right. Well, to that end, uh, episode 13 in the books, the Share Prosperity Podcast. Again, I want to thank Daniel May, uh, my co-host Melody, as always, and we'll catch you next time. Take care. Take care.